here we go with another episode of Peter's Proffer in the courtroom of current events. And today we've got something very current going on. Um, there is a big event that's going to take place in New York City in about a month. And it's going to be put on by an organization called Focus on the Family. And based on their name, you can tell they focus on the family for the most part. And today, our guest is the president of Focus on the Family, a guy named Jim Daly. Really cool guy, really cool story. He's got a ton of stories that hopefully we'll get to on future podcasts. But today, we're going to stick to that upcoming event, and I'm going to let him explain it for the most part. But hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, episode, and if you guys ever have any topics or any guests you think would be cool to come on the podcast or specialties or things like that. We've actually gotten a lot of listener emails, which are awesome, and we're going to try to get to every topic that people give us um, within reason. So if you have any of those, hit us up on social media at Tragos Law or send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. All right, so here we are. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to uh, discussing everything about Focus. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Jim, let me just start right out. Let me ask you, tell us a little bit about Focus on the Family and what its purpose is and how it started and how it's developed. Yeah, Focus started in 1977. Dr. James Dobson started it. He was a teaching uh, professor at the University of Southern California. He taught doctors how to deal with children, basically, and uh, was a researcher himself, a uh, psychologist, and child development was his expertise. So he did that very comfortably for a number of years, and then he wrote a book called Dare to Discipline, and that hit the bestsellers chart. Uh, millions were sold, and he and his wife Shirley decided they would start focus on the family with the proceeds from that book because he felt at that time in 1977 that the culture was losing its way when it came to the the superstructure of the family, that there were many things, unlike previous decades, there were many things beginning to work against the family, the breakdown of the family, uh, different, uh, you know, research points were coming out how fatherlessness was affecting the family at the time in fact i think there was a senate report that back in the 70s that was written uh, by monahan i believe who talked about the terrible uh, situation in the african-american family where 25 percent of children born at that time were born to fatherless families now it's above 75 percent and so you could see this trend continued, and that's what he was worried about. And Focus on the Family has been there trying to not only sound an alarm about the family, but also trying to engage to help struggling families do better. What are some of the things that Focus does when, when you say you focus on the family and try to um, provide things to help families in different areas? What are some of the things that Focus actually does to put that into action? Sure. First off, people love the name. People that don't know what Focus on the Family is about, if you just ask a, you know, a person on the street who doesn't know us, they say, oh, I don't know what they do, but we love the name. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Focusing on the family, people tend to like that idea. We all have a desire to do that at the best of our ability. And uh, yet at times, you know, it's difficult to maintain that commitment in marriage, to maintain an adult attitude when it comes to rearing your children. You get down in the gutter and fight with the teenagers. And what we're trying to do through a variety of, of products and resources is to help people do all those things better. So we have a, a radio broadcast that reaches 6.6 .6 million people every week. It's uh, Monday through Friday. 
that's Arbitron rated, so we're proud of that. That's a big audience, and people tap into that. We talk about a variety of issues. It can be about their their Christian faith. It can be about their marriage. It can be about parenting. It can be about advocacy for children. We have programs to help foster kids find forever homes, as we call that. And we have, to this point, we've had over 4,000 families start the adoption process in foster care in about 26 states. So it's one of the more successful efforts to get uh, families to think about adopting out of foster care. In addition to that, we have option ultrasound, which uh, we have saved about 425,000 children through the ultrasound placement uh, in pregnancy resource clinics around the country. And the list goes on. And then engaging the culture, trying to work with you know, the political forces, businesses to say families, stable families are really important to the culture, and we would suggest most important to the culture. So that's what we do every day here at Focus on the Family. Jim, I know that one of the things that you do so well, that a lot of uh, conservative Christian groups don't, is that you interact with those that have opposite opinions, and that you're willing to meet with them and sit down with them and engage with them. Tell us about that. Well, I appreciate that. I think Scripture is pretty clear for the Christians that are listening. When you look at the New Testament specifically, I mean, to talk with those who disagree with us with kindness and gentleness. And not some people, not just the people we like to talk to, but those that oppose us. And sometimes those can be really difficult discussions when it comes to the definition of marriage or to the sanctity of human life. But my observation has been when people who disagree with me or us on these issues, if they feel sincerity and you're trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to effectively make your points as well, they tend to open their heart up to you. I think it's what the Lord meant when he said, love your neighbor. I think it goes far beyond you know, making sure you provide a cup of sugar if asked for one. It's not that. Loving your neighbor showing a deep respect for somebody even if there's disagreement and the spiritual dna that we all possess seems to work when you are doing that it's a person's heart who cracks open and begins to like you or they begin to understand or see the way you're understanding a problem and i think that's the way human communication is created to work god created us for a relationship but we have to be in relationship to communicate. <laughs> so uh, I think it's much more effective than wagging a finger in somebody's face. Oh, I, I do too. And I said it's, it's interesting that they're willing to sit down with you, and, and they even uh, are friendly towards you. Uh, you sit down, you joke with them, and you have coffee with them, and, and, and just have a, a good time with them, but you are able to put forth you know, your beliefs and what you think and how you feel and able to express that in a way that is uh, strong but not offending them. No, I appreciate that. There was a, a local gentleman here in Colorado Springs who owns the independent newspaper, John Weiss, and I had never met him. After we initiated the foster care effort here at Focus, he called and asked if we could have coffee. And so we met at a local coffee place, and the first thing he said to me was, Jim, I didn't know Focus would do something that good. And I said, well, John, I laughed just like that. I said, John, you probably don't know a lot about who we are. So if I can take 10 minutes, will you let me just tell you what we are doing with marriage counseling and helping parents and all the things we talked about a moment ago? And he looked at me and said, you know, I just had no idea. I thought focus was just political. 
And I said, you know, about only 3% of our budget goes towards a political effort. And that's to rally, you know, people to understand what we believe about a pro-life perspective, the definition of marriage, et cetera. The other 97% of what we do is just keeping families together. And he said to me at the end of that, he said, you know, we've, we've carpet bombed you for 17 years. I think we'll start writing better articles about <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, and that's wonderful. And I think it coincides with that wonderful scripture that says, do these good deeds so that they'll honor your Father in heaven. And the lesson there is carefully read what that says. It doesn't say, say these good words, fight this good battle verbally, verbally attack others, and then your father will be honored. It says do these good deeds. So the hard part of our Christian faith is rolling up our sleeves and doing things that actually contribute to a healthy community. And when we do that, you'll be amazed at how much reverence and respect come the way of the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Well, I know that focus on the family has a lot of buckets. They've got marriage, they've got parenting, they've got faith, they have pro-life, they have life challenges. And I also know that right now you have a pro-life initiative that is going on. Uh, and it's uh, Sea Life Clearly. It's a special program that uh, you've recently started, and I think it terminates on the 4th of May. Is that right? Well, it's kind of a broader effort, the Sea Life Clearly. We're hoping for a million lives saved by 2025. So a million alive by 2025 is kind of the bolder statement. But one of the uh, strongest efforts right now will be the May 4th event in New York City, in Times Square. We're calling it Alive from New York, obviously a play on Saturday Night Live. But uh, with, Nobody sued. You haven't been sued for that, culture, have you? Uh, Governor Cuomo, who favors uh, you know, abortion laws, very liberal abortion laws, felt when uh, Justice Kavanaugh was appointed and cleared the Senate that it was such a lurch to the right for the court that he felt as governor of New York that he needed to do everything he could to reinforce the laws to protect a woman's right to choose. And, of course, obviously we disagree with that. We believe everyone's made in God's image, and including a preborn baby, a baby in the womb. And we've always held that position. And so uh, with this New York event, May 4th, we're going to go show live uh, 4D third trimester ultrasounds along with other speakers and music in Times Square on May 4th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 to 4. And all we want to do is paint the picture. About 54% of abortion-minded women, when they see the ultrasound and they see their baby sucking its thumb or waving or just making its movements in the womb, arms, head, legs, everything, uh, they suddenly think twice about terminating the life of that child. 54% choose life for that child. So our hope is that we can, we can make that kind of impact showing the world through Times Square what a baby in the third trimester looks like. And it is no place to introduce infanticide or the taking of the baby's life. That's the end objective. So when you say that you're going to play it in Times Square, what do you, what do you mean by that? Literally. Yeah, well, again, in that hour, we're going to have wonderful speakers. I can't go into that list right now because uh, the Times Square Commission has asked us to embargo those names until the event, the morning of the event. So uh, make sure people, you can go to focusonthefamily.com to take a look on May 4th in the morning to see who's actually going to be there. But uh, in the end, I mean, the keynote speaker, if we could call it that, will be a live 
4D ultrasound of a woman in the eighth month of her pregnancy, and the whole world will see pristine images of what a baby in the womb looks like in that last trimester of pregnancy. We're going to have other B-roll of pregnancy throughout every phase, and uh, people can see the heartbeat at eight weeks, 12 weeks, etc. But we just think it's a great way to just show them science. Let's you know, rather than shout us down or obscure the screen or try to disrupt the event, let's just have an open discussion about it. This is what a baby looks like. It's got fingernails, heartbeat, brain activity. It's a human, and there's no denying it. And I think that's the greatest opportunity for us right now to, to put on display for the world what GE has done through its technology with ultrasound. And not everybody has a chance to take a look at that. We're going to make sure that happens in Times Square. But that's what I'm saying. So when you say you're you're going to actually show it in Times Square, are you talking about on the big marquees in downtown, like right in the middle of the the city, Times Square? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple uh, um, jumbotrons down there. We're we're probably not going to be able to secure, secure all of them, but we'll have some of them, and then we'll have additionally six of our own large screens that we're bringing in on flatbeds. So... Uh, there's going to be ample opportunity to see what we're talking about. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And again, it's not really, uh, you know, this kind of confrontational environment. I don't want it to be that. If they make it that, that'll be their choice. But for us, it's, it's what democracy thrives with, and that's an open discussion about these things. Let's not let's not hide what's happening in the womb. Let's show it very honestly and openly. And uh, again, I think a majority of women, particularly, uh, will choose life when they actually see what's happening in the womb. In fact, you know, when you look at late-term abortion, particularly, the, first of all, the contradictions, like from Governor Cuomo, on the one hand, rushing to the legislative effort in New York to make sure a woman could have an abortion right up until the baby's in the birth canal. And then claiming, well, this procedure is never done. Well, if it's never done, then why go protect something that's never done? So they're, they're kind of folding in on themselves in that regard. And, and I think we, with clarity, just need to step back and explain exactly why we think life in the womb is to be protected. Jim, let me ask you, have you had any pushback or legal challenges to the fact that you're taking over basically Times Square, showing all this material there in the, in the public square, uh, public property. Uh, has anybody ever uh, has anybody come after you or tried to come after you for that? Well, I, not yet, because public property is public access. So you have to go through the permitting process, and we're well underway with that. Uh, there's always the chance that a politician or somebody could try to disrupt this. I think in America, unfortunately, now more and more that's the case, where freedom of speech is not. We're not capable of expressing that. You think of the. Chick-fil-A in San Antonio Airport that is being threatened to be shut down because they don't like who Chick-fil-A gives to, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a Texas boys' home. I mean, seriously, it's, it's no different than a mafia-style shakedown. And we've got to be able to stand up to that and say, this is not the country, these are not the values that America was built on. Let's respect each other, even in our differences, and allow organizations or companies or people to support and do the things that are, you know, reasonably healthy for the for the country, whether that's Christian or anti-Christian, uh, the left, the the people that oppose us are able to do and and express themselves just about every day in the media. 
So why can't people who believe in God uh, express what it is we believe in the public square too? So, you know, if somebody wants to challenge us in that way, there's many good attorneys that I think can go right to the First Amendment and be able to protect us as religious people. So, and I think this kind of goes along the lines with what so much, what, what focus is about, and that's, you know, education. I mean, I think a lot of it is just educating people that are going through things in their lives, whether it's personally or with their family. And a lot of what focus provides through, you know, books, CDs, radio programs, um, events like this is you're providing education so that people can, it's not like you're tricking people. Like what you're saying is 54% of women that might think about abortion, if they see this, and they understand and learn where this is in the process and what the baby looks like and how developed it is at this point, that is education that's helping them in their decision-making. Absolutely. And, you know, there's been many, many allegations, for example, where women have gone to Planned Parenthood for ultrasounds, and they'll obscure the screen. They'll put black construction paper over the screen so the woman cannot see the baby, or they'll turn the the monitor away from the woman so she cannot see the baby. Uh, They're doing that for a reason, because the picture is so powerful. And so often women will change their minds if they see that picture, because you can see that it is a human being. And that for us is the, the, the really the core issue. Let's show the world what is happening in a woman's womb in that third trimester particularly, where this is a fully formed baby. You know, the Virginia governor who made that comment that, you know, if a baby's born with uh, some abnormality, maybe it's Down syndrome, maybe it's cleft palate, maybe it's spina bifida, maybe it's some other issue, that the baby could be born, kept comfortable, and then the mother and the doctor could have some discussion as to whether that baby should remain alive or be snuffed out. Are you serious? This is the country we're living in now. Uh, That is unimaginable and uh, I don't I don't think this country and in fact 66% the data that we saw 66% of pro-abortion people do not support late-term abortion they yeah are, I mean it well, just seems like in a in a society and culture that seems like we're getting more sensitive to certain things and feelings in life and things like that yet this is also coming about the same time and kind of from some of the same people to me just seems so paradoxical and just seems like it's just so opposite of you know what most of of the things that are being pushed in society today to be sensitive to this let people live how they want to live yet you know when it comes to a baby's life it seems like it's going the opposite direction well and i think that contradiction to the credit of younger people particularly the 20 30 and even 40 somethings they're the more pro-life generation than those over 40. Mm -hmm. And God bless them, because I think they understand it. They don't like contradiction. They're people of authenticity. And when somebody is spinning this, I think they've got a very good nose to say, wait a minute, um, how can we protect a sea turtle on the shores of Florida and then not protect a, a baby in the womb? This is paradoxical. And there was a couple of weeks ago, there was a woman, I think the story was that she went for a saline abortion it didn't work. They scheduled her to come back for another abortion. She innocently asked the doctor, what if my baby survives? What will you do? And he said, oh, no baby survives at this clinic. We simply break its neck. Oh, gee. Okay, that's where we're at. The movie about Gosnell has come out. There are things going on in these clinics that should make us all sick as human beings. And if we're going to be comfortable that doctors break the necks of babies in these clinics that survive an abortion, we've got serious 
serious issues in our culture, and that's what we're trying to say. We well, cannot be human beings. The pro-abortion say this is okay. The pro-abortion people try to hide. Uh, or, or try to obscure, like I said, they try to put that black paper up in front of the uh, sonogram, but statements by the Virginia governor, those kinds of statements expose how they really feel. And that actually, I think, helped the pro-life movement when he said those things, because it shocked so now, many it, people in this country. Fact, the, the irony, what I was going to say is the irony there is many on, on the left uh, distanced themselves from the Virginia governor, including politicians. But then Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, brought forward in, on the Senate floor a bill f to protect a, a baby born alive from abortion attempt. And the Democrats would not, would not allow that protection to go through. And so Ben Sass, who's a good friend, he told me what physicians do now. It's called the backup philosophy. So if a botched abortion occurs and the baby is gasping for air on the table, and fighting for its life that physicians can back up, basically put their hands up, walk away from the table, let that life wither and die, and then come back and dispose of the body. Uh, that is not good for us, everybody. We've yeah. got to change that. And they've tried 18 times to pass the Born Alive Protection Act, and the Democrats won't, won't get on board. And I'm thinking infanticide is not far away when they're, they're incapable, well, in fact, it is infanticide, and they're incapable of protecting life that is born and laying gasping on that table. We should all be outraged. Well, Jim, lastly, let me, let me just ask you, focus on the family. Is it going it alone, or is it partnering with other organizations in this pro-life movement? Well, there's many, many people are participating. I'm co-hosting the event with Jeannie Mancini, March for Life. Uh, the Catholic Church is uh, behind our efforts as well, along with many, many different organizations that are participating by coming and engaging their people and asking them to come. So I, you know, I think it's, it's a broad ecumenical community. Those in the faith community that believe a baby in the womb is life made in the image of God and needing protection. You know, when you think about this, when you look at social justice efforts and, you know, fill in the blank for which one, human trafficking, uh, migration, all those things. These little children have the least amount of voice. They have no lobbying group. Uh, these are the most defenseless human beings on the face of this earth. And they are being targeted for extinction. And I just think somebody needs to step up and say, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Why do we afford more protection to a sea turtle than our own children? And to me, it's one of the most, the greatest travesties of social justice that I've ever seen. We're worried rightfully about the number of people that are killed by handguns. But let me give you an incredible stat. We looked at this, the time period since Roe v. Wade till today. Roughly 1.5 million people have died because of gunshots. That's both suicide and murder. 1.5 million over the last 45 years. How many abortions have occurred? 60 million. Maybe those who oppose what we believe can simply open their heart up a little bit to think about why the faith community has such angst over what's happening. Well, Jim, I tell you, we, we really thank you for your time and, and your insight. And I look forward to, to seeing you May 4th because I'll be in New York and Peter will be there with me uh, and we'll be there to uh, help support the, the pro-life 
movement and be there for for you and for everybody else. Well, I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, letting me talk about these things. Okay, thank All right, you. Thanks Jim. a lot, Jim. Take care. Bye bye.